We've been looking on Sunday mornings in a series, Why I Believe, and we've just had a wonderful Easter week, and I spoke to you last week on why I believe in the resurrection. And if I ask you what is the essence of the gospel, you would probably say that Jesus died for our sins, and you would be quite correct. But it's also important that we believe in the resurrection because a risen Savior is as necessary for salvation as a crucified one. Resurrection validates his crucifixion. Resurrection means that he is not only for us, but he's with us. But there's another element that I would like to draw your attention to today that I think it needs some publicity. And it's something that you you rarely hear, but it is throughout the New Testament. And it's the topic of the ascension of Christ. And so for this, let's begin with an opening text in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, as we bring a message on the ascension of Christ, why we believe in the ascension. Verse 9, this is after his resurrection and after he has been with them for 40 days in his post-resurrection body. And it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, Acts 1.11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way or same manner as you saw him go into heaven. You know, there is uh, uh, what's called an Ascension Day in the calendar of the church, has been for centuries. It's, it's, uh, they count 40 days after the resurrection. Usually it's on a Thursday, and it's called Ascension Thursday or the following Sunday, Ascension Sunday. And it's often accompanied uh, by a feast, and it uh, celebrates that after 40 days of, uh, from his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven bodily, literally. This, the ascension is also mentioned in the Apostles' Creed, where it says, part of it reads, born of the, He was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, buried, and the third day he rose from the dead. And he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
It's part of the Christian's confession for centuries to include the ascension in what we believe. And why is the ascension important? And, and by the ascension, I mean what we have read here, the disciples looking on, and he bodily was lifted up until he disappeared from sight. And if, if Jesus, if it was just his cross and just his resurrection, why didn't he just disappear? Why didn't he just vanish and go back to heaven and disappear from topic and discussion? Why was there a visible confirmation of his ascent back to heaven? And let me give you three or four reasons this morning. And the first one that you find, the importance of the ascension is this. The ascension of Christ gives to us a prototype of the second coming, of the return of Christ. Did you notice how he put this in Acts 1.11? Men of Galilee, that is the disciples, why are you standing looking into heaven? This Jesus who was just taken up from you into heaven will come... In the same way as you saw him go, in the same manner. So the ascension provides the manner of the return, the prototype of the return. How did he ascend? Well, it was visible. His people saw him. It was literal. He actually went upward, and it was accompanied by angels. A, so the, in the same way, we may expect one of these days, Jesus Christ crucified, raised from the dead, and visibly, literally lifted up until he disappeared from the skies, surrounded by angelic armies. In the same way, he will come back visibly, bodily, literally, accompanied by angels. The promise of the second coming of Christ is real. And the format will be the ascension. Now, when will he come? <laughs> uh, I'm old enough to remember how Lindsay's book, Late Great Planet Earth, and actually went to hear how Lindsay speak on several occasions. And he made a huge uh, effort to make the 1980s the time of the Lord's return. But it didn't happen. Some of y'all may remember Harold Camping. Do y'all remember him, a radio uh, teacher? Um, and he predicted, he, he was an engineer, and he studied all the prophecies and uh, the, the book of Daniel and Revelation, and he got it nailed down. He said, the end of the world is coming May 21st, 2011. Y'all remember that? 
I, I was a little nervous, actually, to, to be honest, because he, he did a lot of homework on it. And they put up billboards everywhere. End of the world. May 21st, 2011. Well, this is 2017, so it didn't happen. But I want to tell you, uh, a friend of mine named John Bray uh, came to preach at our church. This is 25 years ago. He knew Harold Camping. And he tells in one of his books, uh, John Bray does, about how he's passing, he's going to Texas, and he's going to pass through Arkansas where Harold Camping lived. And Harold Camping had invited him to stop and eat supper with him. He thought, oh, this would be a great time to talk about his prediction. Because this was earlier than May, tw- uh, May uh, 21, when it was, that was the prediction of the end of the world. So he went in and he, he said, uh, Harold, I want to ask you now, are you 100% sure that the end of the world is May 21st, 2011? He said, I am. He said, well, I'm going to ask you this then. Would you sign over the deed to your house uh, that will be effective May 22nd, 2011? He would not. (laughs) Gotcha. Hey, if they make a prediction and they're not willing to say, here's my house keys the next day, you can have it, go go your way. No, man, they ain't in it. We really don't know when, but we know two things. One, we know he will return. We know he will return based on the scriptures and the promise of Jesus. And two, we know how he will return. He will return in the same manner that he went up. He's coming back down. Now that's my faith. So the ascension gives us that prototype of the second coming. Another thing the ascension does is it places Christ, it exalts Jesus Christ to the place of lordship over all creation, all the universe. Ephesians 1 verse 20. When God raised him from the dead, it says he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name, that is named. Everything. Do we have that? Yeah. He exalted him, not just above, far above. Far above. When Jesus went up, he kept on going into light speed until he had reached the heavens of the heavens right to the throne of God. I saw... Uh, y'all ever heard of David Blaine, the magician? Uh, I saw a, a video of him levitate. He, I mean, uh, he levitated on the video on TV about that high off the ground. 
And these girls were screaming, oh, like they were freaking out that he could levitate. I thought, man, Jesus has ascended above the heavens and you are freaking out that some guy can go up six inches. You know what? Found out the video was spliced. I don't know if y'all ever seen that video that was on TV. They spliced it. If you'll notice, the audience is not actually in the video where he's being raised up. The fact is, he was on. He was lifted up by a crane, and the video was then spliced in with the audience reaction added. A man can't lift himself up a centimeter, but Jesus just went up and up and up and up. The ascension of Christ to the place of absolute lordship. And it says that not only, verse 21 of Ephesians 1, not only in this age, but in the age to come, absolute lordship without an expiration date. Hallelujah. This enables the church then to go forth and accomplish its mission because Paul adds that he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things for the church, to the church, for the church. That's the idea is that where he is, who he is, what he has is for us, to help us. Like Joseph was exalted in Egypt. Why? For his family to save much people alive. Remember that story? So the ascension is the wonderful story of the exalting of Christ to the place of lordship for his people. A third purpose of the ascension is that the ascension is the culmination And in a sense, the extension of his redemptive work, his saving work on our behalf. There are three stages to the saving work of Christ. His living. When he was alive, he ministered to people, he helped people. He healed the sick, he raised the dead. John 17, 4, at the end of his life, when he's getting ready to go to the cross, he says this, John 17, 4, as he prayed to the Father, he said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Now, he hadn't died yet. He hadn't even gone to the cross yet. He says in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he says, I have finished the work. What does he mean by that? He means the work that he was assigned in his life. But then after the cross, John 19.30, his last words were, it is finished. Now that's the finished work of his dying. One is the finished work of his living. The other is the finished work of his dying. But there's other, there's a further, a third stage It is the work of his intercession in heaven on our behalf. His living was finished. 
His dying was finished. His intercession never ceases. He lived for us, he died for us, and now he prays for us. Hebrews 7, verse 25. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is always at the right hand of the Father, making intercession and presenting his sacrifice on our behalf. Um, Luke 22, Jesus tells Peter, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith be not eclipsed. The, uh, the, the word, um, give me that next verse up that your faith may not completely fail, but the word fail is the Greek word eclipse. So it's not like you, like the sun is blotted out. He says, I have prayed. Satan wants you to beat you like they beat wheat. He's going to beat the stuffings out of you. But you'll recover. Notice he says, but when you have turned, not if, but when, strengthen your brothers. So... It is the prayers of Jesus on behalf of those disciples that not only kept them, but returned them when they fell and secured a faith that never goes away. It may fade, it may have question marks, but it is never eclipsed. Um... I came across some years ago a remarkable statement. Some of you may have heard of um, evangelist uh, Charles Finney. He lived uh, around the turn of the century, 1900. He made the statement in his uh, theological book, which is one of his uh, thickest books. He says, uh, when you get to heaven, what is to say that you will not fall away? That's a pretty good question. Uh, When you get there, his contention was, when you go to heaven, you're not that safe because you might sin. And if so, you would be evicted from heaven. And his proof is that Satan was kicked out of heaven. Why not you? And is is that biblical? I think not, because in heaven, Jesus is at the Father's right hand. He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God by him. He will never abandon his post as our high priest and mediator. Hallelujah. So your security in heaven is based on Jesus' intercession at the right hand. Just as much as it is right now. You will actually be no more secure. Finney said, you're not any more secure there than you are down here. Well, I would agree to this extent. 
you are just as secure here as you are there because he's just as interceding at the right hand of the Father there right now as he will be for eternity. You will have no other Savior a million years from now. It'll still be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Before the Father, rendering, rendering effective mediation on my behalf. And I'll be safe because Jesus is my mediator. I'm safe right now just as much as I would be if I'd been in heaven a million years. That's security. That's security. Uh, I think that's one reason why Paul says in Ephesians 2.1, we're already seated with him in the heavenlies, past tense. We're already set there. So the ascension secures us through his intercession. He is our mediator. And then here's a fourth thing the ascension does. The ascension gives to Christ the capacity or enables him now to permeate the universe with his presence. Uh, John 16, 5, he said, I, I am going to him who sent me, he tells the disciples. And he said, you are sorrowful over this. He says, this is John 16 now, verse 7. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come. Can you imagine now standing there in the presence of the literal Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he says, you know, you're better off if I go and send the Holy Spirit, I'm better off. Wouldn't you love for Jesus to be right with you all the time? The ascension of Christ enables Jesus, the Son of God, to permeate the universe with his presence. Give me Ephesians 14. Look at this verse. He who descended, that is, came down, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. Notice, that he might fill all things. I can tell you right now, without stammering or stuttering, absolute confidence that the Lord Jesus Christ is in this place. Amen. He'll be in the car when you get in it, waiting on you. There's a verse in Revelation, uh, Revelation 5, verse 6, when John saw inside heaven, it says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had just been slain. See, that's the stance of Jesus for eternity. The lamb of God before the Father as a finished, sacrificed Lamb taken away our sin. Just, just been slain forever. And it says that this lamb, if Revelation 5, 6, had seven horns. Now remember, this is figurative language. What does that mean? The lamb, well, it means Jesus as our sacrifice. But he has seven horns. Uh, we know seven is that number of completion. You know, you have seven days in a week, and you start over seven notes in music. And you start over, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. Yeah, seven notes in music. And seven horns. A horn was power. 
Seven horns means complete power. He saw the lamb with seven horns, which means he had complete power. But then he said, I looked at that lamb and it had seven eyes. Remember, this is figurative. The lamb had seven eyes. What does that mean? Well, again, you have complete vision of all things. He knows, sees all things. And then he said, and these eyes were like the, were the seven spirits of God, which were in all the earth. So you put all that together. He has all power, knows all things, and is everywhere all at once because he's the ascended Lord. That's the lamb at the right hand of the Father. All power, all knowledge, everywhere, all at once. Jesus is not limited in anyone's space. He's the same Jesus here as he is there in heaven. We had, some of you attended uh, Betty Walsh's memorial service this week, and it it was a beautiful service, and some of you worked hard uh, to make it so. And it was, we had uh, people from several churches who came and testified about her faith. Uh, My kids were small when she was teaching uh, Sunday school over at Bristol Road location. And they, they told me, they said that she would have her class and that there would be, uh, she would keep one empty chair. And uh, whenever the kids would say, whose chair is that? She'd say, that's where Jesus sits. She always had an empty chair. And uh, we'd have sometimes so many kids that they wouldn't have anywhere to sit, but they'd have that empty chair. And they'd say, uh, Miss Walsh, can we sit in Jesus's chair? And she said, well, we can ask him. And so they'd bow their head and they'd pray and ask Jesus if somebody could sit in his chair. And I guess he said yes, because they'd sit in his chair or he would get up and give them his seat. Now, I do think that is a very real way of communicating that he is right there. And she'd have one in her dining room. She'd have an empty chair. Of course, there was no one else there, so <laughs> didn't have any other uh, purpose for it. So she had an empty chair for Jesus. But that is simply expressing in another way what the Bible teaches us, that at the ascension, Jesus is no longer limited to the flesh, no longer limited to time and space, but he has ascended into the dimension of spirit so that all that he is as the Son of God, all that he knows, all that is everywhere in full, all at once. Wherever he is, he's all there. He, that is enabled through the ascension of Christ. There's an interesting verse in Luke 24. I want to give this this verse to you as we close. It says that 
that Jesus, after his resurrection, he hadn't yet ascended. He led them out as far as Bethany and was lifting up his hands. He blessed them. And verse 51, while he was blessing them. In other words, the blessing was going on. When he, while he blessed them, that's continual tense. He was constantly blessing, lifting up his hands. That's the, what the high priest would do in the Old Testament when he would bless the people. It says, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. In other words, he went up with his hands stretched out blessing them. That was their last vision of him. And I noticed that Luke ends in verse 52 by saying, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with joy and were always in the temple praising him. Now that's different from the text that is in Matthew where... You have his resurrection. Matthew 28, 17, and they gathered on a hill after his resurrection. They saw him in his resurrected body. And it says they worshiped, some worship, but it also says some doubted. Now, in his ascension, all it says is, and they watched him rise up and then go out of sight with clouds of angels, and they worshipped. Not they doubted, but they worshipped. The ascension proved once and for all everything he said, everything he did was true and valid. There's something about the ascension that absolutely validates and is fitting and appropriate for the Son of God. It dignifies his exit with a conclusion that was convincing to all. You know, in a wedding, you have uh, a formal processional. That is, there's that moment when formally you begin this sacred ceremony. And so when Christ was born, the, the angels accompanied that birth and sang or spoke antiphonally to one another. And so when he exits this earth, you have like in a wedding, a formal processional, and then you have a formal recessional. It's now over. Now you can relax and go back to chanting and be dismissed. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, that was a formal recessional Worthy of the Son of God. Now is a new age. A new day begins. He has made such a dignified exit to convince all of us that He is not only for us, with us in all His power and might. That is the Jesus we believe in, and that is our faith. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this day 
is a day that we celebrate the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we gather in his name and declare his praise. We ask you, Lord, today to meet needs that are here. There are hurting people here. Now, I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, extend your mighty power and mercy to every hurting person. Hear their prayers and grant the desires of their heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.